2: Show, I'm Rory Sauter. It is great to be back with all of you. I have missed you all. Uh, I was not feeling well last night, which is the reason I was not on the air. And I haven't taken a week. I haven't taken a day off uh, in months and months. So it's very unlikely, it's very unlike me uh, to take any days off. <coughs> Excuse me, sorry, but uh, but yeah. Uh, I needed it. Uh, I'm glad I'm back with all of you. I hope you all had a fantastic Easter. I hope you had great times with your friends and family, and uh, ha- had uh, you know great food and uh, all that uh, fun stuff. And uh, the most important thing, obviously, we know with Easter is uh, He has risen, Christ. Um, you know, let's let's not forget what what it really means. Easter. You know, it's uh, it's all about uh, you know. amazing faith of Christianity and uh, how, you know, Jesus is, uh, you know, just somebody that is so incredible, just beyond incredible. You can't even put them into words. It's, uh, but what a beautiful day. I had had a great long weekend. Um, First and foremost, I want to thank all of my sponsors, all of my audience, my amazing co-hosts and guests. You guys are all incredible. We are now listened to in 22 different countries. And on over six, nearly 70 online platforms, uh, just today, uh, iHeartRadio and Top Podcast picked up our show, which is huge. Big stuff. Very exciting. Uh, it just keeps getting out there more and more, guys. And I, I can't thank all of you enough. Um, last week, we had uh, amazing shows. Uh, such great dialogue. So many different things addressed. I do remember saying for some of the things I did not get to last week, I will get to this week which I will, uh, and I'm very excited to. Uh, I want to welcome to the show uh, my co-host, a founder of Republicans United, founder of College Republicans United, and currently the leader of Nationalists United, Kevin Duteiper. How are you, my friend?
3: I am absolutely wonderful, Rory. I hope you're doing well, too, making a speedy recovery, and I hope you had such a wonderful Easter with your family, and uh, Christ has risen.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Um, I also want to welcome to the show
2: Uh, businessman, Twitter master, uh, political strategist and activist, Bill Lambert. How are you, buddy?
4: I'm doing good, Rory. Hope you're feeling better.
2: Thank you, man. Thank you. Uh, Also want to welcome to the show uh, director, political activist and strategist, Gianni Rodriguez. How are you, my friend?
5: Doing great, man. Glad to be on. I also hope you feel better. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Um, Also want to welcome to the show, doctor, award-winning speaker, professor, veteran, technology expert, best-selling author, and commissioner of Parks and Recreation for Maricopa County, Dr. Bob Branch. How are you, my friend?
6: Hey, welcome back, Rory. I'm glad that you're feeling better today, and it was a great Easter, and as you said, he has risen. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. Um, Guys, I really
2: want to get into the opening story, which has been bothering me and bothering me and bothering me. And we talk about it all the time on this show. And it's like they can't let it go. The Democrats, all I keep hearing is about Russian collusion, Russian collusion, never, never ends. It's like a broken record. These people are sick and demented. You know, I'm not going to get into names, but over the weekend, you know, I had a family member who I was having a conversation with. And, uh, you know, this person is still convinced that uh, there was Russian collusion. And now, and, and this family member on the left is not the only person saying this, but they're all saying now that Mueller's report was corrupt, was, 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 was not properly done. And they're, they're also blaming General Barr. They're also going after Rosenstein, too. I mean, just because it didn't come out to how they wanted it, they have to make this big fuss and this huge uh, scene, and and they get their voters all riled up. Because let's face it, counting on this, their voters have, have obsessed about this for months and months and years, years, the last two years. How many times have we heard, this is Mueller time, this is Mueller time over and over and over. And it was announced just last week that the redacted version um, well, obviously was not good enough for the Democrats, and Bill Barr even tried to compromise with them and said, well, I'll give you a, a version that is barely edited except some, some of people's, obviously, I think, what was on there. You have to edit like people's personal information, stuff like that. But in terms of the report, like it, it's, all, it's all there, the, what Bill Barr is willing to present to them. And they still said no. We know why they said no. This was never about justice for them. This was never about tearing whether or not Russia, Russia colluded in the election. This is about taking down our president. And quite frankly, uh, and, and most people probably agree with me, the fact that, the fact that Democrats on the 2020 campaign trail Every other word out of their mouth is impeachment, is, uh, you know, they try to say obstruction of justice every second. They try to say treason about Trump. And that, you know, let's face it, what they're running on is anti-Trump rhetoric. What they're running on is the, the ideology and that Trump has done such bad things that he should be impeached. None of this is constructive. It's not productive. It's only going to hurt the Democrats. I mean, they are looking at a landslide victory. Uh, President Trump's going to beat them in the landslide. They, I mean, right now they have no chance. They have nothing to run on. And, and now, now that their narrative of Russian collusion is falling apart, they're going into his personal finances. We see what um, Elijah Cummings is now doing. And the Trump campaign had to sue the House overs- Oversight Chair, Elijah Cummings, to block the subpoena because they're trying to subpoena the Trump organization. I mean, this is out of control. It doesn't, it, it doesn't end. I, I want to read um, the top 51 fake news bombshells the media has spread about Russia. Let's go into this, and then I want to talk about this with everybody. Everybody has to hear these details, though. I'm getting to the list right now. <clears throat> Number one, uh, New York Magazine McClatchy. Michael Cohen went to Prague. Fake news. BuzzFeed. Number two, Trump directed Michael Cohen to lie, and Mueller has emails proving it. That was a, that was a complete bullshit lie. Number three, Trump directed Michael Cohen to lie, and Mueller – oh, no. Hold on, hold on a second. Hold on. Manafort passed polling information to the Kremlin. That was a lie. Number four, Axios. Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein forced out. We all remember that article. That was a lie. Number five, NBC News. Federal investigators wiretapped Trump's personal attorney, Michael Cohen, have recordings of Trump. That was a lie. Number six, Associated Press. Phony Russia dossier was initially funded by a Republican group. That was a lie. ABC News. Donald Trump directed Flynn to make contact with Russian officials during the 2016 presidential campaign. That was a lie. Number eight, talking Point Memo. Russian social media company provided documents to Senate about communications with Trump official. Lie. Number nine, CNN. Donald Trump Jr. conspired with WikiLeaks. Lie. Number ten, Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal. Robert Mueller subpoenaed Trump's uh, Dutch bank records. ABC News. Former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort worked with Russian intelligence connected official as late as December of 2017. Lie. Number twelve, the New York Times. Trump Deputy National Security Advisor K.T. McFarland lied about another official's contact with Russians. Lie. Thirteen, CNN. Trump's campaign was never wiretapped. We knew that was one of the biggest lies. Fourteen, NBC News. Manafort notes from Russian meeting refer to political contributions. Lie. The New York Times. Seventeen intelligence agencies concur Russia hacked the 2016 presidential race. Lie. Number sixteen, CNN. Congress investigating Russian investment fund with ties to Trump and officials. That was a lie. The New York Times, 17. Former, former FBI Director James Comey says Attorney General Jeff Sessions told him not to call Russia probe an investigation but a matter. That was a lie. Number 18, CNN. James Comey will testify he never told Trump he was not under investigation. Lie. NBC News, number 19. Putin admits he has compromising information about Trump. Lie. 20, Politico, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, AP Reuters, and the Wall Street Journal are all guilty of number 20, and that is Trump fired Comey after Comey asked for additional resources for the Russia investigation. Lie. Number 21, the New York Times. Numerous contacts between Trump campaign staff and senior Russian intelligence officials. Lie. Number 22, MSNBC. Among others, a Trump family member will be indicted on February, February 8th. Lie. 23, the Guardian. Paul Manafort visited WikiLeaks' Julian Assange on three occasions. Lie. 24, the Washington Post. Trump campaign changed GOP platform on Ukraine. Lie. 25, the Atlantic. Then Attorney General Jeff Sessions lied about meeting with Russian Ambassador Sergey Kisilak, however the hell you pronounce that last name. Uh, number 26, McClatchy. Michael Cohen really did visit Prague. That was a lie. 27, CNN. Trump is lying when he calls Russia dossier phony. That was a lie. 28, Fortune. RT had hacked into and taken over C-SPAN, and C-SPAN confirmed it had been hacked. That was a lie. Number 29, USA Today, MSNBC, Associated Press. Russia's hacked the election system of 21 American states. The Washington Post, ABC News, and CNN are all guilty of 30. Russian hackers penetrated U.S. electricity grid through a utility in Vermont. Live Number 31, the Washington Post. More than 200 websites were routine peddlers of Russian propaganda during the election season. That was a lie. Number 32, NBC News, NBC. Russia is the main suspect in the sonic attack that sickened 26 U.S. diplomats. Yeah, that was a lie. 33, Slate. Trump created a secret Internet server to covertly communicate with a Russian bank. Lie. 34, CNN. Donald Trump knew in advance of the Trump Tower meeting. Lie. Thirty-five, CNN new report will show Trump has helped Putin destabilize the United States. Lie. Thirty-six, NBC. Russian, Russia supports uh, Tulsi Gabbard. That was a lie. Thirty-seven, uh, Sessions failed to disclose meetings he had with the Russian ambassador. Lie. Thirty-eight, Vox. There's actually lots of evidence of Trump collusion. And that was Vox with a V, just let like, you know, not Fox. Uh, Thirty-nine, the, the Washington Post is guilty. New York Times, NPR Reuters. The Guardian and USA Today, CNN, and BuzzFeed, and what it is, is Trump revealed classified information to Russia. That was a lie. Number 40, the Washington Post. House Majority Leader, Leader Kevin McCarthy said Russia paid Trump. That was a lie. 41, Fox News. Mueller can show Trump's campaign had a connection to Russian intelligence. That was a lie. 42, MSNBC. Rudy Giuliani just told America that Trump's campaign polluted with Russia. That was a lie. 3, the Washington Post. Evidence suggests Trump could be a Russian asset. Lie. 44, NBC. Russians being hacking Hillary Clinton's email for a day Donald Trump joked about it in July 2016. Lie. 45, Mike.com, Russia spy visited Trump's Oval Office. Lie. 46, CNN, phony Russia dossier has been corroborated. Lie. 47, NPR, Donald Trump Jr. lied under oath about Trump, Trump Tower deal in Moscow. Lie. 48, NBC, The Hill, New York Daily News. Russia successfully hacked voting systems in a number of states. Lie. 49, CNN, Trump is bonkers for claiming Hillary Clinton it was behind Russia dossier. Lie. We know she was. 50, CNN, every intelligence expert, both under the Obama administration and under Trump administration, agrees with the assessment that Russia attempted to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. That was a lie. Number 51, BBC, Ukrainian president authorized an illegal payment of 400000 to Michael Cohen for additional FaceTime during a June 27 meeting with President Trump. A lie again. So 51 lies, everybody, 51 lies. I mean, this, this is absolute madness. Um, Kevin, go ahead. I know that was a lot to take in.
3: Uh, you're on absolute fire, Rory. I mean, you're absolutely right and exemplify a very important point, and that's just that the media lies about absolutely everything. They'll do anything possible in order to uh, convict Trump of any sort of treason to get him out of office, but the mere fact is that he has done absolutely nothing worthy of being impeached or incriminated against. And how does the mainstream media respond to these allegations that uh, that he is absolutely cleared of all these uh, lies that they have incriminated against him? And uh, Washington Post says it absolutely perfectly that, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter uh, that Trump had done nothing wrong. They say that Uh, he should be impeached regardless of uh, any of these uh, false counts that they have uh, given against him. And it it absolutely exemplifies the fact that uh, all they want is to get rid of Trump regardless of uh, the facts of the matter uh, in any case. So uh, it's absolutely uh, important for us Americans to fight back against this media that has absolutely smeared our president. And I would say the number one uh, fact of the matter is that uh, we have free speech in this country, but what's most important is that you are not allowed to uh, endanger other people's lives with your speech. You're not allowed to shout fire when you're in a theater in a crowded space. And I would say that the mainstream media is committing crimes that are absolutely worse than shouting fire in these crowded uh, theaters, for example, uh, they are committing crimes against the entire country, and they need to be tried for their treason.
1: They absolutely do, and
2: you know the harassment our president is getting. I mean, it, it's absurd and it's sick. I mean, we just we see now that Jerry Nadler is subpoenaing, uh, you know, the, the the just different things. I mean, and all these people in the House, and you have the 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 left in uh, the Senate that's just going crazy trying to get involved with his personal life, Trump, it never ends. It really is fixed up. Uh, Bill,
4: Bill, go ahead. Well, they, I think they have figured out that there's just no way they can destroy this guy's presidency. I mean, they've been going right. at it for two years and, and they're losing their mind. So they're going to switch it over to trying to destroy him personally. And they, they can't destroy him mentally or emotionally either. And that that gets to him too. So they turn over to his financials and his business because they, what they want to do is, you look at Mueller. He had 500 witnesses. How much money you think people spent in lawyers, just for those 500 people? What, fifty to a hundred thousand dollars each? You know, you're talking about five, six, ten million dollars. I mean, you know, look how much um, Flynn had to spend, and and all these, you know, the other, the bigger, you know, Papadopoulos or whatever his name is, and all that. So. They they want these records because they want to. They want to. They need more material to make up more of these lies. If they get his records, then they're going to say, "Well, here's Mr. Smith, and he has a Russian cousin who knows a guy in Prague who eventually." You know, talked on the phone with Putin or, you know, it'll just go on and on and it'll destroy these people that they subpoena because these people have to get lawyers and these lawyers are getting a grand $1,500 an hour and you're making hearings in front of Congress and you're talking. So they're going to destroy the people around Trump to destroy his business and his, his personal personally because they can't do anything else. And they're going to, lose. you know, I put out a tweet the other day. It said Trump will win 45 states in 2020. Easy.
2: Yeah, oh, oh, I agree. He's going to win way more uh, in 2020 uh, than he did in 2016. I mean, so many people are waking up. But sadly, there's so many people that are so stuck on this Mueller report on the left that uh, they just can't let go of it. And, you know, it, it's the Democrats that, the politicians that have lied to these poor people for so long and led them on that uh are the main problem uh, and it's it, it's really it really is
5: just pathetic uh, gianni gianni go ahead yeah well first of all i would just say you know everything you said was right on you know there's no obstruction there's no collusion there's none no matter, of that. What, I mean, no matter what comes out it will never make them happy
2: they, all they want to do is see him go down
5: yeah, and that's the thing. I've, I've told people on this show. You can recall I've said that Robert Mueller was going to exonerate Trump from any wrongdoing. Because think about it, if there was yeah. you did <laughs> and collusion in that, if there was obstruction and collusion in in any of the report, the Democrats would have ran with it, and Trump would be out of office very soon. So that lets you yeah. know that all they're going to do is, uh, you know, resort to a few things. Well, number two, yes. Trump, President Trump, did do a lot of things that I thought were wrong. He did a lot of bad moves and things that you know I don't agree with. In the report, obviously, you know, like when he said, um, you know, this is the end of my presidency. You know, I'm fucked. You know, because they got the all that. You know, I, I understand. You know, or people are coming from where they're saying, well, all this stuff of him, you know, saying this or that. How is that not obstruction? And I and number three, I thank God for the team around him. That are not yes man, you know, because if any of them would have acted on some of the stuff that he said, then maybe it would have been obstruction. But they didn't, mm. so that shows you that they have the President Trump has a team around him that will make sure it is in his best interest. However, I would say that I think that the reason Trump made a lot of his decisions in the report that were bad is because you got to think about this. He's this man is not from D.C. This man is not a politician. He's a businessman. He used to yeah. he's used to doing things his way. And yep. I think it was his lack of political experience going into mm-hmm. that field, which is why he made the certain mistakes that he did in the report. I don't yeah. think that President Trump literally went and said, Okay, I'm gonna lose the election, so let's go to Russia. No, obviously not. But it was just a lack of political experience, which I you know, I exonerate him for. But the report said You know, no wrongdoing, no collusion with Russia. There's no way Russia uh, 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 caused the election. Yes, they hacked into our democracy, obviously, but that has nothing to do with Trump winning the election. He won it because of the American people like you, me, and everyone on this call.
2: Very well said. Dr. Branch, go ahead, and then I'll be introducing our guest. Go ahead, Dr. Branch.
6: Well, I'll tell you what, Uh, you know, first of all, great read on those 51. You know, I I just want to say something, you know, comment on on what Yami just said, because we don't know the inflection. We don't know the content. We don't know how it was said. So a lot of these things, uh, for instance, when he said, well, you know, uh, there goes my presidency. We don't know if it was sarcastic. We don't know if, you know, how it was said. We don't know the inflection. Like, well, there goes my joking around. We don't know. You know, if you've seen, like, my cousin Vinny, right, and they're in that interrogation, and he, he the, the, the officer said, hey, well, you shot the, the, the attendant. He goes, I shot the attendant? I shot the attendant? As if it was a, as a question. Now it went above <laughs> yeah. a, a jury, and that guy just read it. And, the you know, the defendant said, I shot the attendant. I shot the attendant. As if it was an omission. Yeah. We don't know. We don't know any of that. So just to say, well, he did a lot of bad. Well, we don't even know that. But what we do know, there was no collusion. And you have crazy Maxine Waters doubling down this weekend, telling everybody on TV that, yes, there was, in fact, collusion. There was no collusion. And if there's no collusion, there's no obstruction because there's no crime. And. He had every right to fire the, you know, uh, fire Comey. He had every right to question, and he could have fired Mueller, Mueller rather, and there would have been no obstruction. So this is just a yeah. witch hunt. They're doubling down. We don't know the inflection. We don't know the content of uh, the context of how things were said. We are just reading them on on paper and making determinations and. You know, that's not how America is. We don't have trials like that. That's not how America is.
2: Very well said. You're absolutely right. And, you know, it's when you you mention, I'm glad you mentioned this about the report. I mean, you're, you're right. We don't know what it exactly says word for word. We don't know the context. It was, you know, how it was said or, you know, what exactly was said. Uh, I, I still have yet to to believe everything in the report. I think there's a lot of things that don't add up. What do you What do you think, Dr. Branch?
6: Well, you know there are a lot of things that add up. That the Steele dossier was a phony. Yeah. That the FISA warrants were based so that, on that, that part, Steele but, dossier. But some of
2: the things they're some of the things they're accusing Trump of, I I just don't buy it. I don't those are finger. other
6: people's recollections of an event that we don't have yeah. a trial. We don't have people in front of us, and nor should there even be one. I mean, they're just exactly. people's recollections. They, there is no yep. inflection. We don't know the context of how they yeah. said it or what questions were asked. We only know what was reported. So we don't know, and I, that's what that's I right. want everybody to understand listening. When you hear right. something – you can you can say it a different you know a dozen different ways and have yep. dozen different meetings. So you know yep. we don't know what the meetings are. They're nitpicking right. single lines, yep. single sentences, and going after President Trump, and that is just wrong. That has got to stop.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And I just want to confirm that the things that I don't buy and some of the things that don't add up in the report are some of the things they're accusing Trump of doing. I mean, I I completely agree. Uh, over 100 percent that he's exonerated, but some of the things they have accused him of, like like they're trying to say obstruction of justice, and some of the things he said, like oh my presidency's fucked. I, I don't I don't believe he said stuff like that. So well, you know, as time goes on, we'll see more and more. Uh, I think more truth, the truth will come out, and I think we're gonna discover a lot more things. Uh, let me take a quick commercial, and we will be right back, everybody.
1: Where can you find a burger inspired by flavors from near and far? that mixes the smoky with the sass of the south. Combines the sweetness of summer with the tang of the country for savory, sizzling, unexpected flavors. Well, you can find it at McDonald's. The new Bacon Smokehouse Burger. It's the newest flavor of the signature crafted recipes by McDonald's.
7: Is video a part of your strategy for 2019? I'm Rob Hicks with Hicks Video, the remote video production specialist, the doer's resource for online video production.
2: And welcome back to the show, everybody, the Rory Sodder Show, listened to in 22 different countries, and now on nearly 70 online platforms. Uh, If you missed any past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, don't forget to visit our new media site, TheNextGenUSA.com. And don't forget, everybody, that we will be having – Uh, Many notable people doing their own shows on my new network here in the coming weeks, and I can't wait to share with you uh, more of the details, Um, and and I will, I will, and I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun and a lot to look forward to. Uh, I do want to welcome to the show a very, very special guest, uh, Islam historian, activist, nine-time international award-winning journalist, television producer, and best-selling author, Christine Douglas-Williams. Christine, how are you?
0: I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing very well. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, it's your first time on the show. And when I have people come on the show for the first time, I always love for them to explain about their life, their all their success, you know, uh, how it all started for you, the different chapters, the adventures, all that good stuff.
0: Now, that could take some time, so I'll build up to what actually led to writing the book, The Challenge of Modernizing Islam. In the first place, once upon a time, I was an on-the-beat news reporter covering predominantly crime and politics. To make a long story short, I ended up in TV doing a, a, a daily show with Open Line. Now, this television was show was called um, On the Line. It was on CTS-TV in Burlington. Now, it was a branch of Crossroads Christian Communications. Only my show was a secular program. We won nine international awards. It was dealing with... Um, the current day events politics but it also dealt with lifestyle but I became more and more engaged in the political climate of what I saw was going on Um, Particularly after 9-11, frequent people on my show were names that are quite well known now, like Raheel Raza, Tarek Fatah, those are Canadians, and um, um, a a few other Muslims that I would have on the show talking about issues of Islam. Something struck me. I had one particular fellow that was an Islamist, he ended up an Islamist, that was saying unusual things about 9-11. In fact, he was he was making excuses for 9-11, starting to blame Israel for 9-11. And with these other Muslims, like Raheel and, and um, some of the others I had on, they were saying things like, wait a minute here. There was absolutely no excuse for nine eleven. You people don't know what is going on even in mosques in Friday prayer. They're actually preaching hatred against Christians and Jews in, in Friday prayer. At that time, and that was a lot of years ago, I thought, what are these people talking about? And this was on live TV. Fast forward this, investigations did show up that mosques, Not all, not all, but a large number of mosques across the West are Saudi-funded, now Turkish-funded, as well as Iranian-funded, and they are preaching Salafist ideology. So these folks were right, but at the time that seemed strange. So that took me on a kind of an adventure to find out more about what was going on within Islam, and that led to a book that was commissioned by Dr. Daniel Pipes. It ended up a bestseller in the um, category of um, international institutions. Wow. Wow. Very,
2: very impressive. And I want to, I definitely want to ask you about
0: uh, your books as well. You've written several books. Tell us about those. The, the second book I wrote, the two that I wrote, was put out by the Centre for Security Policy. As the name implies, it's called Fired by the Government of Canada for Criticizing Islam. Multicultural Canada, a weak link in the battle against Islamization. Now, two of my other roles that I did not discuss with you yet was as a government advisor. One was a Privy Council appointee, and it started out in the Department of, um, of Citizenship and Immigration uh, as a director on the Canadian Race. Relations Foundation. But when the Trudeau government came in, the Canadian Race Relations Foundation was transferred over to the Heritage Department. And you in America likely have heard about anti-Islamophobia motion M-103. That was a motion that was introduced by a Muslim MP called Ikra Khalid. And as the name implies, it was nothing more and is nothing more than an attempt to to shut down criticism of Islam. So here I was in that very Department of Heritage, and I was writing for Jihad Watch and other publications like... The Gatestone Institute. I've written for many different publications. I'm now also an associate editor for Front Page Magazine, a daily writer for Jihad Watch. But I was writing specifically about M103 and warning about what Islamophobia really is, and it's very different than anti Muslim bigotry. Fast forward this, I got fired by the Government of Canada on the advice of the Heritage Minister, Melanie Jolie, for criticizing Islam and i was asked to do a book a monograph by frank gatney which i did and that too ended up a bestseller of the center for security policy
2: wow wow very very impressive i uh just the, the your your expertise in this realm uh is very fascinating i want to i want to ask you um the attacks over the weekend with in sri lanka uh, God, I have a hard time pronouncing it, um, but Sri Lanka. I think, I think that's right. But anyways, we have hundreds dead. We have Islam targeting Christianity. The media barely talks about it because we know that Christians don't really fit the victim narrative like uh, other, other religions and, and other people that do with the liberal media. And, and it's really sick because we usually see the liberal media and the mainstream media target Christians And ridicule Christians And call religions like Islam The religion of peace I mean these people are ridiculous And I'm seeing all the hate And all the the threats and the hostility uh, From Islam And and I'm thinking to myself How is this not being called out more often I mean Christians are the real targets They're the real victims and, and the left wants to act like Islam is the victim. I mean, I, I, I get that, uh, you know, the, the communist route and agenda that the left has taken, uh, obviously that would, that would fit their narrative, uh, enabling Islam. But I tell you,
0: it's scary stuff, um,
2: Christine. It's scary
0: Laura, it is beyond disgusting. I mean, first of all, one of the issues that came to the surface after the Sri Lankan bombings was the fact that the Democrats and the far left, they just will not mention that they were not not quick to talk about who the victims were and who the perpetrators were. And this was a very important aspect of what took place on Easter Sunday. It was disgusting Mm -hmm. to say the least. Now, the problem is we don't just see cover-ups um, such as not even mentioning or calling out what the problem is we also even right. see cover-ups when it comes to what we see going on in Nigeria how many of us keep hearing about the Fulani herdsmen they're not simply herdsmen, they are jihadists, constantly attacking Christians, this is something yep. that's getting swept under the carpet There is there are blinders on, and some, many people ask the questions why, why is it that people are turning an eye to what's going on against Christians, but it's not only against Christians, it's also against Jews. We see what's going on across Europe. We see the rise in anti-Semitism as a result, specifically of Muslim immigration going into Europe. In fact, when we look at Angela Merkel, she's been absolutely crazy. She's been um, one that has supported Open Door right from doors right from the beginning, and even she came out and said that anti-Semitism had risen drama- risen dramatically ever since open-door immigration with Muslims coming in to Germany. With that said, not all Muslims behave badly. Not all Muslims are jihadists, but we do have a serious problem, one that we're sweeping under the carpet. And on one hand, some people say, well, it might be guilt. Maybe it's about white guilt, because it's usually an us-versus-them narrative. Maybe it's about we've bought all the, the issues of colonialism, that we've, we have we want oil, Middle East oil, White people have done this, they've done that, but give me a break. It's been 1,400 years of jihad, long before colonialism, long before any of what they're accusing the West of. This has been going on. It's nothing but a ploy. So on one hand, we may have the guilt. On the other hand, we do have a problem with globalists, and we're seeing it coming from the highest realms in the world today. We keep on hearing that name, George Soros. He's attacking yep. everybody on our side.
2: Mm-hmm. And it was, it was announced uh, in an article the other day, and I'm, I'm going to let other people chime in here in a second, some of my co-hosts, but it was announced the other day that um, a terrorist group that's uh, linked to the Islamic State called Al Muno, I'm trying to pronounce it, Al Muno, Munat Sir, is that how you pronounce it, munatsir
0: Yes, yes. Pronunciation of these things could be... Yes, go ahead.
2: Yeah, well, anyway, there was an article that came out that um, basically was describing uh, what this terrorist group was saying uh, in response to the Notre Dame attacks. They were saying, wait for next. Like, they're planning all of this. And, you know, I know that the the news story came... Real quick, and I want you to respond, but I know the story came out that the Notre Dame fire and the, was something that was caused, uh, obviously not from terrorism, but I call bullshit. I really think terrorism and, and the is, Islam had something to do with this. I, and then you have the attack in Sri
0: Lanka a couple days later in the same week. Something's off here. Well, it's just, first of all, too quick. I mean, immediately the, the fire was still burning and people were rushing to say, oh, this has nothing to do with terrorism. I mean, these are kinds of, with the size of that fire, with the the, the size of that blaze and the damage it caused to the structure, it would take an investigation, a thorough investigation for quite some time to figure out exactly what the cause was. The mere fact that people would rush forth and say, look, this is not terrorism. This was a problem from renovations inside the building when someone else that was a social with those renovations, came out and said, look, there, were, there was nobody in that building when it came to renovations. There was absolutely nobody in that building. It hadn't begun yet. So then you heard something else about, well, something, uh, some kind of a misfire in the building. Something sparked. Maybe it was a computer. It was, it was nonsense right from the beginning. There are reasons to suspect an attack because church attacks on an average are three a day in France. We're seeing this across the board. And it's not just in France. It's across Europe. It's across even the Muslim world, where churches are routinely attacked if they're allowed to even exist in certain Islamic states. So this is not something that is some, is rare, this is a common occurrence. And in fact ISIS did say, and I want to go back to the Sri Lankan attack, because ISIS did say after the New Zealand attack that it vowed revenge, which is really interesting because while people are going on about how the New Zealand attacker was some right wing nut, he was far right, he was this, he was that, always putting him on the right. The guy himself in the manifesto said explicitly, he identifies with the right. He identifies with the left. He also admires China above every other country. And so he was a socialist as well. And he said he also was a socialist. So which one was he? At the end of the day, he had one objective and he stated it very clearly. He said that he had a goal of a powerful, dramatic revolution. So he was basically a troublemaker that identified with anybody. But unfortunately, everybody was just simply saying, oh, he was a far-right person. And then ISIS comes mm-hmm. along and says, well, we, we vow revenge. So some were even indicating that perhaps the attack that we see in Sri Lanka was revenge. Now, why would that be revenge? I couldn't tell you. This was no church-going man. This was a nut that identified with basically everybody and wanted revolution. So this makes absolutely no sense. We do know, though, that the National Tawheed Jamaat um, organization that was supposed to be some small organization behind the Sri Lankan bombings, that they had to be connected to international organizations because they're simply too small to just to pull off something so dramatic by themselves. Plus, they did notice patterns with the with the actions that, that, that has been noted by ISIS in countries like um, Indonesia and the Philippines and Southeast Asia. Asia, mm-hmm. other Southeast Asian countries
2: well, very very well said I, I do want to uh, welcome and, and I know you want to chime in IQ uh, ISIS, ISIS escapee radical Islam expert activist and best-selling author IQ al-razuli IQ how are you
8: I am very well thank you <clears throat> your thoughts? what I just heard from Christine and I do mention her name because I read about her a lot She is the only person with a backbone in the whole of Canada. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, be (laughs) aware. Not at all. It's true. I I never tell anything but the truth, unfortunately. The greatest threat (laughs) to all non Muslims, Kufar, 80% of current humanity, in the 21st century, is fundamentalist Muhammad and Islam with or without weapons of mass destruction. 9 11 proved the latter. There are no, I repeat, there are no radical militant extremist or moderate muslims except in the fertile but totally uninformed minds of people who have never bothered to read muhammad's quran has any american ever read about or heard of radical extremist militant or moderate nazis or communists why only muslims and islam when it is mandated in muhammad's quran to wage Total war, jihad, against non-Muslims. And as usual, I always recite the verses from the Qur'an to prove my point. Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 216. The Qur'an says, Jihad, holy fighting in Allah's cause, is ordained for you Muslims, though you dislike it. And it may be that you dislike a thing which is good for you, and that you like a thing which is bad for you. Allah knows, but you do not know. Ladies and gentlemen, there are no such things, there's no such thing as ISIS by itself, or Al-Shabaab, or Hamas, or any of these terrorist names. Every single Sharia-compliant Muslim is a member of ISIS. Christine was very generous. She said not all mosques, uh, you know, produce terrorists. I have to disagree with her. Every single mosque has to quote from the Quran. I have challenge worth $200,000 for the security human being who can show us a single operative verse in Muhammad's Quran that shows any compassion and mercy towards infidels. It doesn't exist. I've had the challenges worth $1.5 million for the last 10 years. Nobody has ever come against me. Nobody collected a dime from me. Why? Because I'm dealing with the Quran. I'm using the Quran itself to destroy it with. Sri Lanka is 70% Buddhist, 10% Muslim, 7.5% Christian, among 21 million. Yet it is only Muslims who are terrorizing all the others. The same all over Europe, in China, Russia, Africa, and elsewhere, by the way. In the 21st century, the most persecuted people on earth are Christians by Muslims. Yet not a single main media will ever mention this. Christine is fighting an uphill battle. I am fighting an uphill battle. But we are telling the truth, and yet they want to shut us down. Islamophobia is an oxymoron. Why? Phobia is irrational fear. Check it. Google it. Thousands of phobias there are. Islamophobia and oxymoron, because not to fear Islam, who wants you either subjugated to sharia or exterminated, is rational. So fearing Islam is rational, not fearing Islam is irrational, hence Islamophobia and oxymoron. Yet nobody mentions it. I mean, literally nobody mentions it. Everybody swallows Islamophobia. Bull crap. It doesn't exist. Muslims hate infidels. There is infidelophobia by Muslims. They hate every human being who is not a Muslim. What do you think Christine?
0: I cannot say that I disagree with anything that IQ just said. I'd like to pick him up though on the word about Islam. There are a couple things I'd like to pick him up on actually. The word Islamophobia. First of all, there's a fellow that worked for the Triple IT, the International Institute for Islamic Thought, um Muhammad Rahman. He since left the Triple IT. And he referred to the word Islamophobia as nothing but a thought-terminating cliché created in the bowels of Muslim think tanks to beat down critics. And that's exactly what it is. The unique thing about Islamophobia is that it is a win-win for Islamic supremacists. They cannot lose with that word. And here's why. Because the Quran specifically says to cast fear into the hearts of disbelievers, which they have done. And once they cast that fear, what do they do to you? They call you Islamophobia and it just keeps on going in circles. So the more fearful people become, the more they keep on accusing you of Islamophobia. And in the meantime, we keep getting it from every side. Even the head of one of the worst countries, Pakistan, when it comes to this issue of blasphemy laws, he has vowed to take the issue of blasphemy to the United Nations. And he actually mentioned that nobody understands how hurtful it is to Muslims when people criticize Muhammad and when they criticize the religion. So is it not hurtful to Christians and other faiths as well? The problem with Islamophobia, as IQ says, it doesn't exist. The problem with that is that it is intended to to actually impose the Sharia imperative upon disbelievers. In Islam the, 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 the decree is immutable. It is staunch, it is stiff, it does not budge, and you do not criticize Islam, period. It, period. It is simply not pluralistic. That is what Islam is. Now, my argument in the book that I wrote, The Challenge of Modernizing Islam, is that you do have Muslims out there who practice in peace. Now, they're not even regarded as being Muslims, I realize that, but I do realize that they consider themselves Muslims. And one of the other roles that I have played, and I do believe in religious freedoms, I was also an advisor, an external advisor, to the Office of Religious Freedoms in Canada in the Department of Foreign Affairs under the Harper government, but it, it was closed under the Trudeau government unsurprising, and a lot of people indicated at the time it's because they deemed it to be unfriendly toward Muslims. How interesting. Now the thing is, okay, I'm going to go back to what IQ said for a moment here. When it comes to what Islam is, and people ask me, is Islam a religion of peace? When they ask me that question, I say, if you really want a serious answer, you go to the Grand Mufti of Al-Azhar University, where all Islamic jurisprudence comes from. You go to the Marja, which is the Ayatollah Khamenei. You go to all the leaders of the major Islamic states, Saudi Arabia, which preaches Wahhabism. Go to all these states and go to the Ulema. All of these go to the entire um, ulema, all of which defines what Islam is, what the doctrine means, what the legal code is, and it's wrapped up with the faith. Argue with them what you say Islam is, and tell them what Islam is, and, and come back, if you live, to tell me what they taught you about what Islam is. It should be known by now what Islam is. It is in the Quran, it is in the Hadiths, it's in the Sunnah. With that said, there are Muslims who say, Look, we have stonings in the Old Testament. Yes, it's a very different book because I know people do argue, and they argue it rightly, that the Old Testament. Was, was, was specifically dealing with, with very well, well, I mean, just like we see now, various sins. But how many Jews do you see now and Christians stoning people to death? It's just not done. So, there are Muslims right. out there that will say, Look, we want to practice right. the first part of the Quran, which is the Meccan version. We do not want to practice the Medina version. We want to practice in peace. And there are others that say, Look, there's a 200 year interval between the oral tradition of Islam when it was passed Orally to when it became in, when it, when it was in writing, and we know what could have happened. We know what happened, in fact, in those two hundred years, the caliphates. Mm-hmm. So there are those that also argue that when we see what was written, it was a reflection of what took place with the violent caliphates. So there's a lot of arguments, and this this is actually why we hear Daniel Pike say words like Islam is whatever you want to make it. This is why um, Robert Spencer wrote the book Did Muhammad Exist? And for anybody who yeah. read that book, you realize it's a bunch of stories mixed together and many Arab intellectuals themselves Um, from a website, Mm. al-Musliya, and I advise people to read that, al-Musliya.com. They say, look, they they attack, and they criticize Islam, and they're Arab intellectuals, and they say, look, we don't even know what it is. It's barbaric. Yes, these are the words. They have not moved from the 7th century to the present, but at the same time, it's a reflection of the caliphates. So it is whatever you make it. And there are many Muslims that say, look, I don't want to practice in violence. I want to practice in peace. And it's because of that, I say, look, if Muslims want to practice in peace, for example, the Ahmadiyyas, then let them practice in peace. However, the problem with the Ahmadias is that they're 1% of the Muslim population in the world, and they go around telling everybody Islam is a religion of peace when they're a persecuted minority, like many others. So here we do have a problem of some Muslims choosing to practice in peace, even though they want to say that all of Islam is a religion of peace. That's another story. But should a Muslim say, look, I am coming to the West. I want to practice my religion in peace. All I'm saying is that they should be allowed to do so. I don't blame Muslims for the state of the West. I blame Westerners who allowed it to happen, who allowed their constitutions to be usurped, who allowed this garbage about Islamophobia coming down from the OIC to infiltrate every single level of our governments.
2: Very, very well said. Very well said. Uh, I want to go to you, Gianni. Gianni, go ahead.
5: Yeah, first of all, I would just like to say, Christine, I'm a huge fan. I've seen you on Dove TV. Um, I remember you some years ago. You were on Jim Candelon, and I just, I'm just a real, real big fan of you. Um, so, thank you. I, yeah. So, how I'm, I'm, this is a part that I'm very like confused on with these topics is when it comes to you know Islam and is it a religion of peace and you know, because I also follow Lawrence Southern, and I see how in Canada, especially, and in Paris, you know, this kind of Islam inflection is starting to come in, and you have these no-go zones and all this other stuff, and you see that the government is somehow protecting Muslims in various places where in Western society, where a regular person can't even go anymore because it's dangerous. Where there's a video out where where Laura Southern was talking to a police officer and the police officer was begging her not to go near the neighborhoods that have the most Muslims in it. And I was just shocked because this is Western society and regular people that are born here can't even go to a certain area. So how do we stop that from happening in America and as far as no-go zones and things of that nature, but not not taking a but not taking it too far like some people on the right take it way too far into hating Muslims. I don't want to hate Muslims, but I want to No, no. How
0: do we... I,
2: I want to I want to add something into that real quick, Gianni, cuz you bring up a perfect point and I want Christine to answer, but look at look at Gianni what's going on in Europe. I mean, these people are invading like crazy, the Muslims, and they're basically acting entitled like, like they're owed something in somebody else's country. It's crazy. Yeah. Well,
0: to pick up what you just said there, um, it, it, it's in their wiring in terms of their belief. There's a concept in Islam called al-wala and it's a concept of loyalty and disavowal in Islam that addresses loving and hating for the sake of Allah. So you love those who are obedient to Allah, you defend, you assist them, and you hate for the sake of Allah. And you show anger toward those who oppose Allah, and his messenger, and his deen, and the believers. This is what you do. This is the concept of al Walbara. and this is what's being taught in mosques Now, the... Something that I noted um, with the book that I wrote with the Islamic reformists and those who dis- who decide, look, we just want to leave the past in the past they don 't go to mosque, none of them go to mosque, and if they do it 's very rare. in fact, that was one thing that actually um, Interested me more in the reformist movement and what they were doing. I actually ended up sharing a room with a Muslim lady who was on a delegation with Simon Wiesenthal that I was on, and she was telling me an experience she had in a mosque where. A little bit of her fringe was showing under the head covering, and another lady just yelled at her. And because of some of the, the the preaching she was hearing and how stringent it was, she lost it and she yelled, "Screw you!" And she just went out of the left the mosque and she never went back because she just had it. So she couldn't go anymore. And I've known many Muslims that say, "Look, I we have a faith." It's historic, it's customary, we grew up in it, it was inspiring, but we chose not to take the path of what we're seeing in these mosques and not to take the path of what I call, and what is called, Islamic orthodoxy, or normative Islam. Now, how do we stop these no-go zones? First of all, and I'm going to take this back to Donald Trump. Donald Trump was being called this cruel, evil man, this racist Mm -hmm. man. You know, I, I was listening to part of your conversation earlier, and what I find the most peculiar thing is, even in airports, anywhere you go, you hear people talking about how awful Donald Trump is, how racist he is, how terrible he is. And when you simply look at them and you ask the question, okay, aside from Donald Trump's abrasive personality, what is it that you don't like about him? What has he done that you don't like? They give you a blank stare and change the topic. Right. right. Now, or now they'll when call you, when you a Nazi...
2: They'll call you an Islamophobe. That's what they do. I mean, they have no other comeback.
0: It it is ridiculous. They resort to name-calling. It's as though we're living in a a Mad Hatter world. Nobody wants to address the truth. They just slap labels. So what what can we do? Donald Trump came out and said, look, We have a problem here, and he said it at the height of the the problem we saw in Europe with Muslim migration. And Mm -hmm. there were seven countries which were countries of concern that were, by the way, not chosen by Donald Trump. They were chosen by Barack Obama. And we didn't hear people going on and on and on about these countries of concern when it was Obama. However... We kept hearing about it when Donald Trump was the one that happened to mention those countries of concern. Now, what has happened since? Basically nothing. It has basically gone from, from, from a so-called temporary ban, to, which never really panned out, to being careful and vetting who comes in to the country. And this is so important for every Western country to do. I, living in Canada, every time I cross the U.S. border – we have to go over and we have to talk to the guy standing there the security the the, the agent the tsa or you go to an airport sometimes you get frisked down i'm thinking to myself what's the point in all this we have open borders Even in Canada, we have the Quebec border, people just running by. So why is it that law-abiding citizens are going to airports, being degraded, getting patted down, having to go through x-ray machines when people out there are advocating open borders? We need to be watching our borders and watching it carefully. What Donald Trump is doing, he is inspiring not only Americans, but he's also inspiring, um, inspiring responsibility. With all those people that are talking about open doors, I'd like to know how many of them leave their front door open in the night. How many of them do that? They're a bunch of hypocrites. They don't do it. Even the Pope that's advocating no walls, open border, he has... His, his, the Vatican is walled up, and he's got his own security, but in the meantime, he's telling everybody, open borders, open borders. It doesn't make any sense. Donald Trump is on the right track. He has inspired, actually, the Hungarian leader. Um, Viktor Orban that talked about making Hungary great again. He has inspired the Visgrad group and even the Austrian guy, the Austrian Chancellor, who has said, look, I want to be a go-between. We're talking Sebastian Kurz here. I want to be a go-between between between East and Western Europe so that we could start looking after and being responsible for our people, making sure that their safety comes first. I don't understand what is governing these the people. I understand that there's a Marxist force and this is another thing that I don't hear enough people talking about but I have heard it I I have talked about it myself in reports and I've seen others talk about it, Marxism and so on and what it means. When one looks at history and one looks at the fall of any system havoc is created before another force takes over. We're looking at Marxism today, which is the hard left. They hate America. They hate Christianity. They They hate goodness. So we're looking at Marxism, and we wonder, what do they have in common with with Islamic supremacism? They have absolutely nothing in common except a relationship of convenience. Between Marxism and Islamism, we're seeing a destruction of the West. A destruction of our Constitution, a destruction of our values, hatred of Christianity, hatred of Judeo-Christianity, hatred of Israel as well, hatred of basically anything called freedom Mm -hmm. and goodness. This is what we're seeing. So we wonder, what do they have in common? That's what they have in common. They're united together in hatred against America, against Christianity, and against Judaism. That is what they're united in. And in the end, they're going to battle it out together because Marxism will never yield to Islam, and Islam will never yield to Marxism. Well said. Uh, Kevin, go ahead.
3: Well, thank you so much for all your work, and I'm loving the conversations and every single point that's brought up is very important. And I really want to talk about the troublesome Sri Lanka bombings that happened on Easter. And it was absolutely upsetting to me that uh, not only the prime minister of Sri Lanka that mentioned, but also other leaders that mentioned that we believe that this is revenge for the New Zealand mosque shootings. And I find that troubling because it seems to me that these uh, radical terrorists Will stop at nothing to continue these bombings and these uh, massive terrorist events. And I don't think it really matters who did what. They're going to continue to kill the heretics, so to speak. And uh, it it really is troubling, too, because it's really causing a big wedge between the uh, Christian and the Jewish and the uh, Muslim communities, uh, specifically. And uh, not only is it These communities that are um, the Muslims and the Christians that are now seemingly at war with each other, but there's also within the Muslim community, there's all these different factions that are fighting each other. Predominantly, to simplify it, it would be the Shia Muslims versus the Sunni and the Wahhabis. And so if you look back in history, maybe go back uh, 40, some 50, 60 years ago, a lot of these countries, like Afghanistan, were relatively uh, moderate Muslims. I mean, they were. They, it, you look back at photos and their government structure; they were not radical. They were not so violent. Um, you know, women would wear sh- short skirts, relatively speaking, and it, it looked relatively normal for the, the 50s and 60s. And uh, it is absolutely uh, like Afghanistan, for example, is the epitome of uh, an absolute shithole, so to speak. And you could say the same for uh, most of the Middle East. So uh, the question that I mostly want to bring up is uh, why is it that uh, the West, all of the Western nations, seem to be at war predominantly with the Shiite uh, Muslim communities like uh, Iraq and Iran um, at, at a time, Afghanistan, and et cetera, uh, you know, these, these people were the uh, relatively moderate Muslims. I mean, we're backing the Wahhabists of Saudi Arabia, and uh, I mean, we're attacking places like Syria that are tolerant of Christians. Um, but apparently, uh, they they've got to go. We we want to make Syria look like Libya, you know, a complete, almost anarchic uh, country that's uh, condoning slavery and all these uh, terrible atrocities. So. Uh, why is it that we invaded Iraq, which is a, a Shia, Shia country, and and now we want to topple Iran? You know they're relatively moderate com- compared to the surrounding area. When it really should be, uh, if we're to attack any country, it should, be, it should be these radical, radical Sunnis or Wahhabists.
0: Now, who is this question for? Because I know IQ is also present.
2: No, it's it's for it's for, uh, it's for you, uh, Christine.
0: Okay. Okay. Now, that, that is a really interesting question. In the first place, um, before 9-11, we all noticed the world was a very different place. Islam, if one notices throughout history, Islam goes through a process of um, ebb and flow. And I know that in recent times, and this will be familiar too, there has been a call to come home to the Ummah. A country like Iran, it's an apocalyptic kind of a country. It is the time now where, interestingly enough, they're looking for the Mahdi. And what is particularly troubling about Iran looking for the Mahdi, who is the finally the imam, finally is that they believe that there must be catastrophe. There must be um, an apocalyptic kind of an event to take place, to usher in the Mahdi. Now, I realize that with Christian prophecy, we believe that as well, but we don't believe that we have to usher it in. Iran does. And this is a problem we're facing here. Even the Jews also believe that the time has come where their Messiah is at the door. So this is actually the first time that we see the major religions, Islam, Christianity, and actually Judaism, all believing that the Messiah is at hand. So we're living at a time of turbulence with that in mind. So we're looking at that very strong religious point. But we're also looking at something else, and it's called urgency, When 9-11 happened, it didn't take long before it was uncovered that these were Saudi agents. But at the same time, we found out eventually that Iran was also involved. And given what we have seen with Iran building up nuclear weapons and saying all the time, oh, they're just using nuclear energy for domestic purposes, we knew that was a lie. But we have seen a shift in tide where, for some reason, and it does relate to the coming back home to the Ummah. it does relate to 9-11, 9-11 definitely triggered off something. It was never new that Iran saw um, Israel as the little Satan, America as the big Satan, but Mm -hmm. 9-11 triggered off a momentum. If you look at George Bush, what happened there was that that was an awakening after 9-11, that, wait a minute, here. We are facing a monster. We're facing a whole new group of people that the West has hardly heard of, jihadists. And they hate us Mm -hmm. so much that they brought down the trade center, both of them. They brought it down, the towers. We were seeing from before that attacks even before that. We were seeing attacks proliferating globally. But Mm 9-11 shook us. It was on American soil, and it was a declaration of war, and that created the will within America to say, look, we're not going to allow this war to exist on our soil. If we listen to the mastermind of 9-11, he intended for this to be basically the end of us he actually said in interviews we didn't expect cowboy bush to come and fight against us we didn't expect this we expected it would be a win for us but it wasn't because it was a declaration of war and George Bush took it on. I know that sin that what he did, the decisions he made, many say, Oh, we should not have invaded Iraq because after all Iraq did control Iran and yes, we can say that a lot we can say in hindsight, I understand the arguments for not invading Iraq. I do understand it. It makes perfect sense. But the fact is it happened. We were also quite naive. We were under the impression that if we took out one despot, that it may open the door to something more. Popular. Positive, but unfortunately, we didn't learn. Look what happened in Ooh. Afghanistan. Look what took over when we tried to fight the Mujahideen. Look what happened. We, end, we ended up with the Taliban. We ended up working yeah. with them and then the Taliban mm-hmm. was born to get rid of the communists. So that's That was what happened there. So why would we have thought? I think we underestimated yeah. them. I think to this yeah. day, yeah. we continue with this bigotry of low expectations and we constantly underestimate jihadists. On one hand, we say, oh, it's our fault, it's our fault, it's our fault, because we're so busy navigating and we're so pompous in the West that we don't – it doesn't occur to, these pe- to people who say that, that this is a 1,400-year war, and they've been studying us constantly. It doesn't occur to people to say that. So we underestimate them. So, and so when George Bush started – when George Bush took yes. this seriously that's not that, that is when it exploded. It's what we're seeing today. And I'd like to also take up a very important point of the Shia and the, the Sunni. They're not always enemies. And this is something we have to be very, very careful with. Right now, Pakistan is hey, growing. Christine,
2: we uh, only have about yes. three minutes left, and I have, to get, I have to get to a few more people. Uh, Dr. Branch, go ahead. I know you have a question for Christine.
6: Oh, I, I was, I'm telling you, I'm enthralled. I'm enthralled. I love intelligent people, and I'll tell you what. Uh, congratulations on your book. I like the fact that you took a different tact in that book. You didn't just, uh, you know, state personal opinion. You went out and you said, "Okay, this is what the Western governor governments look at, and they describe to their people, you know, that Muslims are moderate. However, if you believe in the Quran and." Uh, Hateth, and so now you yet and the the basis for Sharia law here are the hurdles that you are now facing as a reformist and I think that's eye-opening I think a lot of people should well I think everybody should read your book the plug for your book but you know the reality well, you. is you know wh- well what you're saying is absolutely correct because you know we hear on our news for instance yesterday or the on Sunday um, uh, President uh, former President Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton both even refused to call them Christians that were assassinated yeah. in those churches and hotels. They called them Easter worshipers. And to me yeah. that was like the most offensive slap in the, the face as a Christian. the whole political correctness, wow. but there, you know yeah. there was Stop absolutely how, how do they come up with the exact same term separately? You know that that was a dialogue that was given to them. And another thing that you know, I'd like to point out. Uh, uh, you know, Rory and I we, we have the privilege of living down here in Phoenix, Arizona, in Scottsdale area. And many Canadians come down here uh, for the winter time. And I, I'm a politician, and I have the the uh, the, uh, the the the, uh, the honor of addressing many of them when I speak. And they love president trump via, via justin trudeau and and to me you know that's refreshing because all that we hear in our media is oh we're going to leave the united states and go to canada if trump's elected and to me i think there's a lot of bright intelligent people that live up there in canada so um i want you to keep up the good work uh you know okay. iq has echoed many of the things that you've said on many of these shows. You know, he's he's, he's 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 like us, a regular on here and a brilliant man, just like you, an extremely brilliant individual. But we have to listen to you. You know, we have to listen to you. Because I know like Jami, you know, last week said, well, I have a lot of good friends that are Muslims and they're nice, kind people. You know, as IQ pointed out, those aren't the ones that are going to the mosque. Those are not the ones that follow Sharia law. They're not the ones that, you know, follow the Quran and the Hadith and the Sina. They're, they're just not. And America has to understand that there's differences. And we have to understand that the attacks on Christianity that, that you and IQ have brought up are extremely real. And they're being tolerated by our government. And another thing I just want to bring up, too, is what, you know, Kevin was saying about what happened in New Zealand. You understand, Kevin, the reason why that was New Zealand was even brought up is because they blame New Zealand on Trump. So this has to go full circle. So what happened in Sri Lanka, in their mind, is because of Trump. You, You see how that goes. So if you know you say an extremist went to New Zealand, why? Because of Donald Trump? Okay, well, we'll blame what happened in Sri Lanka on on New Zealand, and therefore it's Trump's fault. This is a war that's going on, and we have to understand it. and I want to thank brilliant people, and like you know uh, you know uh, IQ said, you know, you have a backbone in Canada. And I'll tell you what, it's an honor talking with you. Thank you very much for what you do.
0: It's an honor talking to all of you. Thank you very much for what you do. I, um, Christine, I want to get, uh, I want to
2: let my, Mike Peters from New York. I know you have some quick thoughts, but we got to go to a commercial here in about a minute, but Mike Peters, go ahead before we let Christine go.
9: Well, Christine, I want to thank you. As everyone else has for everything that you're doing on the side. And the only one that I knew that was heavy duty, who was really on that topic was Cal Fritzi who, uh, has really stayed in the forefront, but that rule, that law that you have in Canada now, I think, is really quieted, shut down a lot of people, unfortunately, uh, that are afraid to speak up now. That's what I'm afraid and of. You're I do M103. What, oh. Yes, um, it was yes, there's a $23 million that.
0: document that contains it.
9: Yep, yeah, it's it's terrible, terrible. But but I think another thing that you, is we were mentioning about these people and uh, and. But, I think it goes deeper than that. I think that any of the liberals or anything else, number one, they love the underdog. And also they have total contempt for liberals for any accountability. any anything that shows authority, whether it's police, the laws from the governments that they don't want to even admit. Any of these old archaic, to them they're archaic laws. Constitution or anything else mean nothing to these liberals. Everything should be like the Constitution to them is a living document. They can modify it and play with it and adjust it. And backing the Muslims and everything else to them is the moral, the right thing to do, when actually they know nothing about them or the culture or anything else. But to them it's an underdog and one of the causes they can champion.
2: So very, very, very very well said, Mike. And Uh, Christine, I definitely want to have you back soon. Uh, Please tell everybody where they
0: can find you, though, like get your book, uh, interact with you. I know you're on social media as well. My book is in every major bookstore, and anything you want to read about me, read on Jihad Watch. I don't even write in Canada because I know too many people dragged to court. It sounds ridiculous, but the state in this country, I tell you, just one a few seconds, I've got to tell you guys this. On CBC, Canada's broadcaster funded by taxpayers on Easter Sunday, Omar yeah. Catter was interviewed and made out to be a victim after receiving $10.5 million in compensation for so-called bad treatment in Guantanamo. That is the state in Canada right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, Trudeau, Trudeau is
0: truly a disaster. I mean, he really is. Um but
2: Christine please tell every you can tell everybody where they can uh, interact with you Twitter
3: uh you're also um, can find um, your fa- work. Fa-
0: Facebook yep Facebook you could okay. also contact me through Jihad Watch um okay. we've got emails up there the writers on Jihad Watch you could contact me anytime there and you could look for me also on Facebook I don't even have a Twitter account okay. I'm not easy to um, find <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, Christina, I, I loved having you on. You've been a fantastic guest, and I look forward to having you back soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Bye-bye. I right, we'll talk soon. Thank you. Uh, we'll be right back, everybody.
9: Would you know what to do in the event of an active shooter, a terrorist attack, or an unforeseen altercation? Whether at home or in the workplace, SkyRace Security can train you and your employees how to defuse a potential violent situation. Our goal at Skyrace Security is to keep our clients safe. With our professional and experienced Israeli Defense Force trainers, we teach strategies for safety that may someday save lives. Sign up at SkyRaysSecurity.com for our workplace violence prevention and training classes or call 240-888-0682. Packaging.
1: I'm Ray, and I quit smoking with Chantix. I tried cold turkey, I tried the patch, they didn't work for me. I didn't think anything was going to work for me until I tried Chantix.
7: Chantix, along with support, helps you quit smoking. Chantix reduced
1: my
9: urge to smoke, I needed that to quit.
7: Tell your health care provider if you've had depression or other mental health problems. Decrease alcohol use while taking Chantix. Use caution when driving or operating machinery. The most common side effect is nausea.
10: I can't tell you how good it feels to have smoke behind me.
7: Talk to your doctor about Chantix.
2: And we are back. It is great to be back with all of you. Uh, great guest. Uh, don't forget, we're listened to in 22 different countries on over. 60 online platforms, nearly 70. And uh, don't forget, if you missed any of our past clips, past episodes, or need 24-7 breaking news coverage, visit our media site, The Next, N-E-X, Gen, G-E-N, USA.com. Guys, I want to get into something that uh, has been on all of our minds lately, and uh, we've all obviously been paying attention uh, to the far-left Democratic Party I mean, these people ha- have gone nuts, have gone AWOL. Uh, we have them now saying that they, they know they can't beat – they obviously – they're not saying this, but we know this is why. Um, they can't beat Trump in, in an election with honesty. They have nothing to run off of. I mean, there's nothing there. So what do the Democrats resort to? They want felons to vote. They want felons inside of jail. Murderers, sexual predators, it does not matter. They think it's everyone's right to vote. This goes all back into the entitlement uh, part of the Democratic Party. I mean, they are, the type, they are the party of entitlement. They think the world owes them something. They think they should get free health care. They think they should get all this free shit. Except, let's face it, it's not free. This is coming from hard-earned taxpayer money. And it's, it's one of those things where they are creating monsters. The, their narrative is anti-Trump rhetoric, free health insurance, slavery reparations, so on and so on. It, just, it doesn't end. The madness doesn't end. Just when you think the, the left and the Democrats can't get any more radical, this is just only backfiring on them. And we've seen what's happening with this Mueller report uh, and, and their whole impeachment talks. Right after the Mueller report came out, the other, the other day, last week, the, it sparked a $1 million boost in fundraising for Trump within 24 hours after it was released. I mean, that, that was a huge article. Um, but I want to go back to this real quick, what the Democrats are running on. A so sorrows group right now is working to register felons for 2020 in Florida. They want to swing Florida. They don't want Trump to get Florida because we all know Florida is one of the most important states during the election cycle. And we have all of this uh, one-sided, victim-jaded uh, ideology from these Democrats. And I, I'm scared. I'm scared because, you know what, I've never been a Democrat. That's a, that's a given. I can't, I've never, you know, agreed with their ideology, but at least they were some party of substance at one point. I want to play this clip uh, from Tucker earlier tonight, and he describes it perfectly and puts it in perspective about how the Democrats are sabotaging their own chances. Uh,
11: one, four. Well, good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. Democrats say they despise Donald Trump. They seem to even tell us they'll do anything to prevent him from continuing his presidency. But if that's really true, why are they working so hard to sabotage their own chances of replacing? Why are Democrats suddenly saying things that almost guarantee Trump's re-election as president? In just the past few months, Democrats have said things that are so atomistic that it's very hard to imagine voters will back them. Just last night on CNN, watch Bernie Sanders, the frontrunner, endorse voting for felons who are currently behind bars. Watch this. If somebody commits a serious crime, sexual assault, murder, they're going to be punished. They may be in jail for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, their whole lives. That's what happens when you commit a serious crime. But I think the right to vote is inherent to our terrible people. So how terrible is Sanders talking about? Cannibals? convicted spies? How about terrorists who kill children? Oh, yes, Sanders. they get the vote, too. Unlike the First or Second Amendments, That's in the Constitution. Senator Campbell Harris, you can agree with that. But people who are convicted in prison, like the Boston Marathon bomber, on death row, people who are convicted of sexual assault, they should be able to vote? I think we should have that conversation. Okay. Let's have that conversation. Best to do it right now, actually, because whenever the left tells you they want a conversation about something, you can be certain that any dissent on that subject will be banned a year from now, like 2020, questioning whether a prison terrorist should vote or he would trip to the HR department and a lifetime ban from PayPal and Twitter. While we still can, consider the story of Shokhar Tsarnaev, first a first-hand United States war member on a tourist visa with the rest of his family from Kyrgyzstan, all of them promptly claimed asylum here they were given in. Over time, the and I have collected more than $100,000 in taxpayer finance government benefits. In 2012, Zer I have received U.S. citizenship. And then, less than a year later, he murdered three people in the hundreds with a pressure cooker bomb at the Boston Marathon. Now he's on death row. So Democrats hear that story, and they feel outraged. It's not that immigrants
0: repaid our
11: generosity with a terror attack that may bother you. It doesn't bother them. The injustice they're enraged by is that a convicted terrorist might not be allowed to help pick our next president. That's outrageous in their view. It's just the kind of institutionalized, bigotry that Kyrgyzstani refugees like the Zernayevs have faced historically in this country. Maybe they need reparations, too. They definitely need a voice. Certainly convicts of West Feliciana Parish, Louisiana. Of the 15,000 people who live in that parish the maximum security, a full estate prison Farm. They are the single largest block of voters in the area. According to Bernie Sanders, this is bad because they're being denied democracy. That's racist. Once Bernie Sanders is president, they'll be able to elect the city council and the sheriff. Maybe they'll work for you. That's the kind of progress we're talking about.
2: This, I mean, this is where we are, people. This, this is what we are dealing with. The Democrats know they can't win fair and square. So now they want felons. They want illegals. They want anybody that's in this country to vote for them, murderers, sexual predators. And, you know, they have nothing to run on, nothing, 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 which is why they're resorting to these extreme and radical measures. Uh, I do want to welcome to the show a um, very, very, very smart guy, very successful guy, economist, entrepreneur, speaker, writer for Town Hall, Newsmax, Set, and a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey, Dr. Michael Busler. How are you? Dr. Butler.
10: I'm doing well, Rory. Thanks for having me. Uh, Some very interesting conversation. I've been listening for some time here. Uh, Some very interesting conversation. Uh, The the last point with uh, having uh, Bernie Sanders supporting people in jail for even violent crimes, uh, having those people have the the right to vote uh, seems to me to be um, a little bit ridiculous. I mean, when you commit a violent crime... Uh, the penalty is you, you lose your freedom and your rights, uh, and you go to jail, and while you're in jail, um, you, you, you have no freedom, and you certainly uh, shouldn't have any voice in selecting who the leaders of the country are. And I think you're right. The, the Democrats are trying to get whoever they can uh, to, to vote for them, uh, whether there are people in the country illegally, whether there are people in jail uh, just anybody who they've supported uh, and uh, know that if those people do vote, that they will vote Democratic. Um, the left is coming up with some uh, really outrageous uh, proposals. Um, as you know, I'm an economist, so I take a look at, at some of the things that they've come up with. Uh, the latest was Elizabeth Warren, uh, who is pushing now this, um, having the tax American taxpayers uh, pay off the student debt um, of about uh, 45 million people. Uh, She first underestimated the cost. She said 640 billion. Um, Mm -hmm. Look, if you have 42 million people, the average college debt's a little over 30,000. Simple multiplication tells you that's 1.2 trillion, which is about twice what she uh, uh, said the, the cost would be. Moreover, going forward, Um, I tell people when the government gives you something for free, it's likely to be very expensive. Um, And In other words, if the government says, well, look, uh, we'll pay for your tuition, it's all tuition free. Now, it's not free. Uh, Obviously, college professors (laughs) don't work for free. Uh, Free (laughs) means it's free to the student and having the taxpayer pay for that. Well, that sounds good to the student, but once the student graduates, the student becomes the taxpayer. So now that free education, for the rest of your life, you're going to be paying higher taxes uh, to cover other people uh, who uh, get this free tuition. Uh, So it's really a bad proposition, I think, all the way around. We really can't afford it. And what really irks me is, look, the the, the country has said that education should be a a public good at least up until
11: 12th grade.
10: A public good means the government does uh provide it and we can argue whether that's a good idea or a bad idea but no uh, no, I, no
2: I was just, no I, I don't agree no I think it's a bad idea but I I was just saying yeah like acknowledging what you're saying
10: yeah so uh the government does but look once somebody is over 18 you're you're an adult and when you go to college you're an adult and adults uh, are supposed to learn individual responsibility that's the whole yeah. thrust of the of the Democrats proposals That they want to shift from people being responsible for themselves like it's always been historically, which is what really made America great, uh, taking that away from people, that individual responsibility, the Democrats say, and let's make this a social responsibility uh, so that you don't have to take care of yourself. The government, um, really the taxpayers, will take care of you, um, and you don't have to take care of yourself. Uh, that's a terrible way to look at things. And it starts out with people being very dependent on the government. And as you go through life, you start to become more dependent on the government. um, And that tends to lead to a very stagnant economy and a lot of uh, very high taxes to pay for all that and um, a lack of opportunity. So some of these things, these Democrats are coming up with some of these far left policies. And I agree with Tucker When the Americans go to the ballot box, uh, historically, they've rejected this. Uh, Those of us who are a little older remember George McGovern running in 1972, similar kind of platform, and he got annihilated. And you can remember uh, Mike Dukakis and uh, uh, Mondale running. Uh, They too had very liberal positions, and Americans uh, soundly rejected them. Now, some people argue. The country is a little more to the left now than they have been traditionally because of uh, the Obama administration over the, the uh, past eight years prior to Trump. But I still think uh, Americans have certain core values, and uh, among those values are we, they recognize that they have individual responsibility, and they expect other people where able to uh, take care of themselves also. So I think Tucker's right. I think the Democrats are going down the wrong road here and this is going to end up very poorly for them.
2: Well, look, you just look at what they're doing. I mean, I mean any sane person in my opinion would look would look at their policies and be like, "What the hell?" But they have all of their sheep and their voters that buy buy into all their crap. I mean, it's it's insane. They want to give illegal social security. They want to give black slavery reparations. When does the madness end? I mean, this is just, uh, you know, this is like a new uh, age of stupidity with, with this with this party. Uh, IQ, go ahead.
8: I find it this well. Look, it's not strange what's happening. The left is unhinged. It has been unhinged since Obama, and uh, because of Obama. What we have at the moment is that 47 percent, I keep repeating myself on this number, you have 47 percent of Americans who are completely brain-dead, who support the Democrat agenda, no matter how outrageous it is. There's is no doubt about this. And you have a, another 47 percent who are more awake and they realize that Donald Trump is the one who is championing American people. The deciding factor would be the 6 percent who are on the fence. Whether these people would wake up in time for the 2020 elections is another story. It is scary what's happening in America. It really is unbelievably scary. How is it conceivable that human beings who are supposed to have a rational brain come to the conclusion that what the Democrats are proposing? free education, free this and free that. There is nothing free in this universe. Not even the air we breathe is free. They're taxing it. In Europe they're taxing the air, literally. So how can you possibly come to the conclusion, anybody with a rational brain, come to the conclusion that illegals have the right to vote? Why, Why would any rational human being who is living in a civilized society, in a fair-minded society, come to the conclusion that illegals have got the same rights as illegals. I don't know, but that is what Rory is saying. Scary part, but this is the real part. The question is, how many Americans would wake up in time to overthrow this mindset? What do you think?
2: Yeah, it's one. It's one of those things. I mean, it's it's terrifying. Uh, Kevin, go ahead.
3: I personally love how the left has opened up our democracy. I mean, the fact that we've always been a republic and just because that they've opened up all these loopholes to say that, oh, it's okay as long as we vote on these objectives, that it suddenly takes precedent over our Constitution and our already established rule of law. I think it's absolutely maniacal and plain evil that they would suggest that someone that is... uh, that is so morally reprehensible that they would commit violence or rape or any of these uh, horrible atrocities to be allowed to vote, uh, allowed to have a decision in who is able to represent us. And we all know that these people are very vastly leaning left, and they, they don't want our rule of law. They don't want our constitution. Uh, they right. want their own uh, malignant purposes. And uh, w- once more, I need to say that uh, even voting at eighteen is a kind of a little ridiculous uh, these people are not fully adults yet i mean we're, they don 't trust these eighteen year olds to drink or rent a car or many of these things. Uh, I think the only reason why the voting age was lowered to eighteen was because of the draft because the hippie movement had established that uh, if we're going to war, we better be able to vote. And uh, so that's why the change happened, but we don't have a draft anymore. Uh, I personally think we should raise it to to 21 because these uh, young people are not uh, old enough to understand the decisions that they're making. Uh, In fact, as time goes on, uh, it's taking a lot longer for uh, these uh, children, these minors to really adjust into full adults. The, we're staying at home longer, and, uh, yeah, it's just taking a long time to, to adjust. And uh, there are many other reasons that you could suggest that uh, our democracy isn't what the left uh, thinks it is. We we are a republic, and we need to act as such. Yeah. Uh, Bill, go ahead.
4: Yeah, well, they've alienated a large part of the American population, so they're trying to replace it and in any way they can or, or to skew the – the way we do elections, any way they can, by getting rid of or getting the popular vote. Or, I mean, that they create a mental situation or a mental perception in people of, the, of stress and anxiety and and hopelessness. And the only way for them to to get relief from that is for the government to give them all these free things. And so they're, you know. That's that's their their game plan. They're, it's not a big enough part of the population to to win elections like they think it is. But they're grasping at straws because they really don't have anything left. They're you know when you don't have anything, you know, what else can you say? But the, if, when you've said all the, the the normal things, then you start saying outrageous things. And you have you know people yeah. talking about a trillion and a half dollars worth of debt relief. Well, you know, Warren is the is one in Congress that, that when the government took over student loans, so it's uh, the disaster of student loans is on her lap and on the congressional lap. They took it over in, what, 2008, November, something like
5: that? Yeah. So yeah. It's,
4: just, it's just a matter of, of scaring people to point and saying, here, we promise you this utopia, so they prey on the weak-minded. But, you know, that's only going to account for about... of the population at the most.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're handing, they're handing Trump this election in 2020. Gianni, go ahead.
5: Yeah. uh, uh, When it comes to the, the whole prison, prisoners voting and things like that. I mean, if, if it's a nonviolent crime, you know, I don't really have a problem with it, but if it's like a violent crime, like Bernie was saying with the murderers and rapers and, Boston bombers and all these people I mean come on that's, that's just fucking ridiculous I mean I, it's disgusting to me um, You know it, I I, I Kind of agree with you Rory like I'm kind of scared About America's Future because I'm trying to figure out Like what is to come Like president and let's say A democrat wins You know it's like What what can possibly happen Because I mean today you I know saw what, We
2: know what's going to happen stuff's going to get re- Erased of what Trump did. I mean, if somebody comes in in 2024 yeah. that's a Democrat, but I don't think a Democrat will win after Trump's done. I think in 2024 we'll get somebody like Dan Crenshaw or maybe Daryl Kane if we're lucky. But let's just say for the hypothetical reason that a Democrat comes in, you know they'll erase everything that
5: Trump did. Yeah, and and I, and I was, uh, uh, what's her name, Kamala Harris, I saw an article where she said as soon as she get in office if the first 100 days they don't do anything about gun control, that she'll do something executive.
2: executive and order. I'm
5: like, that's just, yeah, I'm like, that's a scary thing, man. It's scary times that we're in. So, like I said, I don't have any problem with, you know, prisoners voting if it's non crime, because there's nowhere in the Constitution that they say they can't vote, you know. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that being said, it's just, I, you know, I don't know what else to say about that, man. It's just crazy times going on. And I think Uh, What's going on is uh, with the Bernie Sanders, I believe they're just pulling so much stuff out of their ass now just to appeal to people because, I mean, who who really thinks that they're going to do any of this stuff? I mean, I just believe this is a BS, or it could be because they want more people to vote. They know more people like minorities and things of this nature. They got to say things to appease them so they can get more votes for 2020 because they know they can't beat Trump uh, fair and square.
2: Yeah, very well said. Uh, Dr. Branch, go ahead.
6: So let's recap. They want the voting age lowered to 16. Soros is registering felons. We want illegal aliens to be able to vote. We want the felons inside prison to vote. I mean, what could possibly go wrong with that? I mean, goodness gracious, I have four college degrees. I'm a Christian and I've paid taxes all my life. I have never been in trouble with the law at all. And that party calls me deplorable. Well, I'll tell you what, man, if my vote is canceled out by the Boston bomber, I I'm 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 going to be more than livid. I mean, this is outrageous. This is not just this is not just that, you know, they're they're treating this like this is a high school uh president race well let's promise everybody everything just to get elected this is dangerous man this is dangerous against the united states you know i'm going with what kevin was saying you know the the thing is kevin i'm 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 a lot older and i remember when the drinking age uh, not the drinking age the voting age was lowered you know at that time the majority of the states you could drink at 18. you could buy cigarettes at 18. You could go to war at 18. So they said that that's the reason now to to lower the voting age because we could do all that, but we can't sign a contract. Okay. Well, since then they have taken away the drinking age, raised it to 21. Smoking age in this state, they want to raise it to 21. They federally, they want to bring it up to 21. So the thing is, is you know they. They have a habit of basing arguments on stuff that they even take away. But to call me deplorable, to call every one of you on this line deplorable, then to turn around and give a vote, a canceling vote against you to a felon like the Boston Marathon bomber, that's just dangerous, man. That—that That is dangerous, and we should not even allow that in the public conversation. Yeah, you're absolutely right.
2: I do want to take a quick one-minute commercial, and we're going to come right back with Dr. Bus when I want to talk a lot of economics. We'll be right back.
9: Hello, everybody. This
2: is Rory Soder from the Rory Sodder Show. Are you an aspiring entrepreneur? Do you have an app idea? Do you want to save money? Well, I got great news for you. My company, GetYourAppBuilt.com, charges a fraction of the cost compared to anywhere else. And all of our work is the same amount of professionalism you'd see from any other company. Uh, please visit our website, GetYourAppBuilt.com, for your free consultation and contact us today. Thank you. Hello, everybody. This is Rory Sodder from The Rory Sodder Show. Please visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com for all your authentic, customized, and creative President Trump apparel and merchandise. You won't find products like this anywhere else. And best part of all, it's made here right in the USA. Use Mega 45 at checkout for 30% off your first purchase. Again, visit the TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com today for a wide variety of great selections. Thank you. We are back, everybody. Uh, Rory Sauter Show, listened to in 22 different countries on nearly 70 online platforms been a fantastic show tonight uh dr <laughs> Butler. i want i want to get into yeah. uh the stock market with you uh today it was said that the stock market reached new record highs and, and i just want to mention as well you know when the economy is this good perhaps maybe the best ever we have the lowest black unemployment the lowest hispanic unemployment lowest asian unemployment ever and then we have the lowest female unemployment i believe in nearly 60 years, if I'm not mistaken. How did it de- I mean, the Democrats have nothing to run on, but uh, going into the stock market details, uh, elaborate on that a yeah. little bit. I mean, today was a big day.
10: Yeah, uh, a couple things. One, um, for the last month, I've been saying that the first quarter GDP number, which I believe is due out this Friday, it's usually the, the last Friday in the month following the end of the quarter, um, I've been saying we'll probably be in the 2%, to 2.5% range. Um, yeah. But then we there was some very positive data came in for uh, March, one that retail sales soared. Um, and now it looks like the first quarter number will be closer to the 25 to 3% range. Um, and I think the stock market is starting to see that, too. Again, you recall back in December when the stock market was literally crashing – Um, My comment was there really was no reason for that. I mean, most uh, people invest in stocks, and what the market somewhat tells you uh, is what the investors believe uh, will happen in the future. If you think the economy is going to be strong in the future uh, and corporate profits will be up and dividends will be up and stock prices will be up, you're willing to pay more for stocks now. If you think the opposite is going to happen, then uh, you're willing to pay less. So since uh, people are now willing to pay more for stock prices, for stocks, they're realizing that the economy that everybody, uh, particularly the uh, the end of last year, was saying was about to uh, level off or even go into recession, and uh, the uh, sugar high of Trump's tax cut, they said, was uh, wearing off. Uh, all of that turned out to be wrong. Um, and as I've said all along, the forecast for the year – are. Uh, GDP is only forecasted to go up about 2.5% by most economists. Um, I've been saying all along, I think growth will exceed 3% this year, finally. Um, And I think that will have some good footing going going forward. Uh, So I think the stock market is recognizing that the economy is nowhere near recession, uh, that it will be strong again this year, likely much stronger, or at least somewhat stronger than it was uh, last year, when we just missed three percent growth, we ended twenty eighteen with two point nine percent and again, recall we haven 't had three percent annual growth since the year two thousand and five so we'd certainly um welcome that, and I think the uh positive uh movements in the stock market indicate that most of the business community um agrees with that it's going to lead to a lot of uh, a lot of positive uh things in the economy too, as you mentioned. Now, um, uh, unemployment is at record lows, especially for some uh, groups where unemployment has been relatively high. Um, and uh, with that growth, we've been talking about how, well, the millennials are stuck at home and they can't find good opportunity and they have to live with their parents and all that's been true for the last decade, but that's starting to change now too. Uh, for the, since last uh, July, There have been more job openings than there are unemployed people. So as a result of that, if somebody really wants to work today and you have any kind of a skill, uh, there's a job out there uh, for you. The small business people I talk to uh, tell me uh, exactly the opposite is happening in that uh, they have plenty of jobs available and they can't get enough good people to fill these, these jobs. Uh, So there's – what Trump did was exactly right. He got into office. He got rid of uh, unnecessary and counterproductive regulations as quickly as he could. He convinced Congress to lower taxes for all Americans, including the upper class, which is necessary because the upper class uh, tax cuts will result in capital formation. And since we have a capital-intensive economy, more capital is – uh, better for getting more economic growth. So I'm still uh, very optimistic, as I've been for the last year or so, since really Trump got into office, I'm very optimistic about uh, economic growth going forward. I see no recession uh, for years into the future, and I think growth will start to accelerate a little bit. And when that happens, uh, too, going back to our past uh, Discussion. When that happens, a lot of the appeal of what the Democrats are saying, free stuff, um, a lot of that appeal will, will be lost. Um, free stuff is appealing to people who uh, don't have the ability or the opportunity to earn the stuff themselves. Well, now with the growing economy, people have opportunity to earn it themselves and um, the appeal of free stuff is going to go away. So I'm very optimistic about the economy uh, going forward. Yeah, yeah. And uh, is it fair to say that this is
2: probably the best economy ever in the history uh, of existence?
1: Well,
10: well uh, uh, it depends how you measure that. Uh, we've certainly had periods of much higher economic growth. So you might say, well, it, it hasn't matched that. On the other hand, we've never had a period where uh, unemployment has been so low, particularly in the groups where unemployment tends to be relatively high. So if you're measuring it in terms of jobs that are available, in terms of wages, which are going up uh, for the first time in really decades, uh, so if you're measuring it like that, I would say, yes, it is about uh, the best economy that we've ever had.
2: And the tax cuts, just so we can uh, definitely uh, address this, Uh, perfectly because we have a lot of different people on the left and and especially, you know, on that side that are in denial and don't agree or, or, or believe that the tax cuts benefited them. Isn't it fair to say the tax cuts benefited probably about 85% of U.S. citizens?
10: Yeah, the, the tax cut did uh, exactly that. Um, And there's one myth that's being uh, also, uh, uh, fostered by the Democratic Party. They say, look, this tax cut resulted in increasing the deficit by $1.5 trillion over the next decade, uh, saying that the tax cut result will result in less tax revenue, and therefore the deficit goes up. That is incorrect. Tax cuts have never caused, or almost never caused, revenue to go down. In 2018... Uh, the federal government took in slightly more dollars at the lower tax rates than they did in 2017. They'll take in more money in 2019 than they did in 2018. So the tax cut has never resulted in tax revenue going down. Now, to be fair, what their argument is, well, uh, the tax cut, you're right, revenue did go up, but it would have gone up more had you not cut taxes. Uh, now, that argument doesn't is not valid either. Because had you not cut taxes, the economy may have gone into recession, in which case tax revenue would have gone down, not, not up. So to to say what it would have been is really kind of a difficult thing. What we do know factually is that tax revenue has increased in 2018 over 2017 and will increase in 2019 and subsequent years over the Prior year. So the tax cut did not lead to uh, a loss in revenue or an increase in the deficit. Indeed, what the tax cut did, it gave about 85% of uh, taxpayers a break. The only ones who didn't get a break are people like me who live in states like New Jersey where our real estate taxes are outrageous. And because real estate uh, values are fairly high, our mortgage and mortgage interest payments are very large. And the federal government, Trump said, look, the uh, people, that American taxpayers are not going to subsidize people who live in New Jersey or California or New York or Connecticut who have such uh, outrageous uh, uh, property taxes. Uh, let them deal with that on, on their own. American taxpayers are not going to. Um, take care of that. Uh, so those were really the only people that did not get a tax cut. Everybody else, the middle class taxes went down, an average of probably close to $2,000. That increased uh, their spending. That should have a stimulative effect on the economy. Right. They cut, he cut taxes for the upper classes also. That created more yeah. capital for expansion. Yeah. Business investment right. is increasing. Mm-hmm. That too will lead to long-term growth.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, and everything you just mentioned was perfect. Um, uh, we have about a minute left, Dr. Bustler, uh Please tell everybody where they can find
10: you. So my Twitter account is at M-B-U-S-L-E-R, at M-B-U-S-L-E-R. My Facebook page is called Funding Democracy. So search Funding Democracy or Facebook.com forward slash Funding Democracy.
2: Perfect, Dr. Butler, and we'll see you next week.
1: Thank you. Uh, i q go ahead
8: it's very simple just google my name al rasuli a l r a w s w o l i and you know more about islam than the muslims have a good day Perfect. thank well, you
2: very very well said thank you i q um dr branch
9: go ahead
6: your success rory okay. and they can uh follow me on twitter at bob branch at b o b b r a n c h
2: Perfect. Well we'll see we'll see you uh soon.
5: Uh Gianni, go ahead. Yeah, you can find me on Facebook, uh Gianni Rodriguez with the Z. Again Rodriguez with the Z dash Paris with two R's. Perfect. Well very well said.
2: Uh we'll see you Thursday, Gianni. Thank you. Uh Bill, go ahead.
4: Yeah, well Doctor Branch, I did follow you on Twitter, but uh you can follow me at Super Early Texan on Twitter.
3: Perfect. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. Find me, Kevin DeKuyper, on Facebook or our page, Nationalists United. Thanks for a wonderful show, Rory, as always. Absolutely. We'll
2: we'll see you Thursday, buddy. Um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. It's been a fantastic show. Uh, I want to thank all my guests, my co-hosts, my audience and sponsors. Uh, Don't forget, we're listened to in 22 different countries, and we are – on over 70 online platforms, again, in 22 different countries, and listen to nearly on 70 platforms, um, just under 70. It's like 68 platforms, but we're doing so amazingly good, and the show just keeps getting better and better. Everybody, uh, God bless you all. I'm Rory Soder. We will see you
11: Thursday. God bless. Cheers.